session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my soundcloud page and free podcast on itunes again the studio number 310-441-0555 before i get started i want to announce the book of the week again which i'll talk about on monday night's show it's why buddhism is true by robert wright the science and philosophy of meditation and enlightenment and this book was uh, recommended to me by my brother Parham, so I took his word for it, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you guys on Monday night's show. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can follow me on Instagram, and something I've been doing lately is posting a little poll or a, uh, a story where you can ask me questions and things I could talk about on the show, and I got a lot of uh, questions on Monday night, so thank you for everyone who submitted them. But I had some callers, so I didn't really get to any of those topics. But one that really stood out to me, and I made sure to even take a screenshot of it because the questions go away uh, within a day, uh, was this response I got. Someone wrote, please talk about LGBT. And then they wrote, and this was the part that really stuck with me and kind of broke my heart. It said, and please tell me I am not unusual. So please talk about LGBT and please tell me I am not unusual. Um, I don't want to give the person's full name just in case they didn't want that, but it was from Lily, at least that's part of their Twitter or sorry, Instagram name or handle. Um, but the part about please tell me I'm not unusual was what made me sad. And of course, she didn't express clearly that it's because he or she, actually, I don't even know the full name, who they are, but this person didn't express if they're saying that they feel unusual because they're a member of the LGBTQ community or if they've felt that way or people have made them feel that way. Um, but to, I hope you are listening. Let me just let you know you are not unusual if you are gay or lesbian, bisexual, transgender, um, whatever the case may be. And what breaks my heart is that this is still the way many people feel in our society for being born a particular way, for being attracted to um, either members of their own sex or both members of their own sex and the opposite sex, or for not being sure about their gender or being sure that they are not born into the right body and wanting to be male when they were born into a female body. Um, but it was that unusual, tell me that I'm not unusual part. And that's why I wanted to make sure I talked about it today. Because this means that most definitely we as a society have a lot more work to do to further reduce this stigma and judgment that we have towards people who are members of the LGBTQ community. Because people are just born different from each other. 
and we can't dislike, hate, persecute, bully people for being that way. And even in a, for something that really doesn't mean much at all, what difference does it make to you who someone else is attracted to? That's their life and their decision. There's nothing for you to judge them about. And again, they were born that way. So I know a lot of people have this idea of people choosing to be homosexual and all that we see in the science and literature about it, it doesn't seem that that is at all the case, that people are making a choice. They feel attracted. Just like if you think you're heterosexual, you didn't choose that. You are just attracted to members of the opposite sex. Similarly, some people may be attracted to both or may be attracted to members of the same sex. They're not choosing it. It's just the way that they are. And we have to be better about this because there is no way that we are on the right side of history if we are against people who differ from, let's say, you in this way. And I should also make another point. I think people, because of so much stigma and the judgment and all the issues that people have to deal with in this community, people still don't really explore their sexuality freely. And I've dealt with this both in my practice, but also you can hear so many stories of people who much later in life realized they had an attraction either to the same sex or that they had attraction to both sexes, but that they hadn't really explored their sexuality because there was such a stigma and unconsciously they couldn't even handle the thought or the, the belief or the life they would have to maybe live in accepting that they were different in this way because of what people, um, how people treat them. And so this is something that people who are in the LGBTQ community have to deal with, that sometimes, yes, there's all this prejudice and stigma on the outside, but because of that, it's internalized and they feel it themselves. And they can even hate themselves for being gay or dislike themselves or think there's something wrong with them. And we still see higher numbers of things like suicide for members of the LGBTQ community. And I think sometimes people use those statistics as evidence that something is not okay with them, when that's not at all really what's happening. It's that when people are persecuted and being told they're not okay in some way, they're going to internalize that and that can affect how they feel. They'll feel not accepted. They'll feel not okay. And when they realize this is who they are, they feel like there's no choice maybe then to take their own life than to live that way, which is horrible. I've talked about the research before that showed that in states where, in the United States this was over a period of time, states that legalized same-sex marriage, they saw a decrease in suicide in LGBTQ youth, which maybe could seem unrelated, but it does make a lot of sense because as much as we can say, well, we're, gonna, we're not going to hate gay people and lesbians or we're going to tolerate them and they're okay, but they can't get married. And we think this doesn't matter. They just can't get married. They can do everything else. Why does that matter? We're still sending the message that you, your love, is not okay. It's not equal to everyone else. You actually are not acceptable as you are fully. And then when the laws change and say, no, in this way you are equal, this has an impact on how people feel about themselves, how they feel about their life, how hopeful they can feel, or how much they don't want to give up on themselves. So we have to be aware that the way, ways that we treat people. And sometimes people say, well, things are so good now for 
members of the LGBTQ community. You look at the United States, things are so good. Like, what do they have to complain about? Um, first of all, there's still a lot of work to be done, and we still see higher rates of bullying, uh, especially for the transgender community. That's one that is becoming more um, in the spotlight. We're becoming more aware of it, which is good, but we're also becoming more aware of how much these people struggle with everything they have to go through. Um, and they say, well, imagine you're in another country, it's much worse. And I get it. There are countries where, unfortunately, it's far worse and even people might be killed for being gay or lesbian, and that's obviously horrible. So I'm not saying it's not better here, for example, in the United States, but just because it's better here doesn't mean our work is done. Yes, it's better here, but we still have work to do to achieve equality, just like women's rights is far more advanced here in the United States than, let's say, some other countries, but that doesn't mean that we are we have to stop thinking about women's rights or women's issues because we're better or doing better than other countries. So we still have work to do. And if you are someone who has negative feelings towards members of the LGBTQ community, I hope you'll really think about where that's coming from and why that might be. And usually people think it's for logical reasons that they feel this way, that they've thought about it and that it's wrong and it's the wrong way to live and you know, maybe even God doesn't want it to be this way or whatever it is that they think and they think it's all from thoughts, not realizing that really it's more of an emotional reaction. And for almost all of human history, there has been these negative feelings about members of this community and that still stays with us. So if you think really it's logically that you dislike gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, I can almost assure you that it's not coming from some kind of logic, it's more of an emotional reaction. And that when people look back, even now a lot of people, but let's say in a hundred years, they'll be shocked that people were so cruel to people that were just being born a certain way, that had an attraction to certain people, and that it actually is natural, and that it does occur in the animal kingdom as well, if that's what you mean by natural, and people are born that way, so that to me makes it natural. But all these arguments that people have to justify hating certain people, I think are horrible. And I hope we can do better and keep doing better. And that when I see a message like this, that tell me I'm not unusual, um, soon there won't be a need for people to even think about these things because they'll feel fully accepted and loved as they are. So I appreciate um, the question. Um, please talk about LGBT, and anyone who listens to my show knows that that's a topic that I do bring up often and does come up because I think it's important for us to talk about. On my show, I really want to challenge taboos and stigmas to things like mental illness and mental health, but also in other areas, and I think this is one of those. The LGBTQ community is still one that deals with a lot of prejudice and persecution and bullying and things that we have to look at, all for no reason, and I think that's horrible. So to that listener, um, no, you are not unusual. It's the world that is still unusual and is still catching up to realizing that we can and need to love and accept everyone for being born how they are, and there's no reason to be judged or put people down. So you're not unusual. The world still is, and we're still catching up. Thank you for your question, and I do hope at any level I was able to give you some comfort, and if you ever want to call in and talk about it, love for you to share that. 
with us. But thank you for that question, and thank you for all of you for sharing those. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller now radio hamra you're on the air okay that's fine hi doctor what the reason i'm calling you but let me give you a brief uh brief t- thing about uh, me my daughter and relationship so okay. you would be able to judge or to advise me better okay sure Okay, well, first of all, she's a very good girl, and she's very successful. She got to Berkeley, she went to Harvard, and she's having a great job, and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, for example, and she's, we are really close. Mm-hmm. And she was, for example, she was going through her PhD, and she finished the classes just before she uh, uh do the, uh, the uh, kind of like finish the final, you know, the dissertation, mm-hmm. she was very tired. She was calling and crying that I can't do it. I will do it later and all those things. We really tough. And then I could understand her. I could feel what she's going through. But we talked to each other for an hour, an hour and a half, and once I put the phone down, Inside my mind, I said, no. I mean, like, at the end, she could. But if she doesn't do it, well, she doesn't do it. I don't show her I'm nice with her, but she feels. When she talks to me, you know, and then after a few phone calls, she says, I mean, I can get that negative energy inside you. What can I do and how can I solve the problem and don't make me, um, uh, you, you're pushing me away from you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand, I understand, I don't want to do it, but I don't know how to control it. Not only for that, for, I advise myself, she's almost 30, 28, 29 years old, and she's good. I mean, you have to respect her decision, and she's safe for its consequence, just walk with her, I listen to you, I listen to your dad a lot, and all those things. And I regret it. I said, I don't want to do it, but unconsciously I do it again. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost related to what you were talking about, the topic you were talking. I want to know, okay, now I understand. How can I control it? You know, I mean... I mean, I have to, how can I let go? And then God's like, she's old enough, she did everything good, and if she makes any mistake, she's going to stay with consequence. I told myself, I'm just going to walk next to her, I'm not going to do it, but I do it again. Yeah, well, okay, so I have a few questions, and also I know you're saying you have to walk next to her, but maybe you have to let her walk more of it by herself without you. You don't have to always be next to her. Um, you can be more of like a, a home base if she wants to come back to that, but you have to let her walk. But you said it's somehow related to the topic I was talking about before about the LGBT 
Q community? How is I just want to understand how is that related, or how is it's it related? Negative, I'm thinking because like they want to accept it. I have that towards the even the bisexual, homosexual. And I say it's not, uh, it's fine, you know, the human being, they have rights to choose what they want to. But then, you know, inside me, I say, oh, my God, I'm glad my daughter is not like that. So even though I say accept it, but I don't accept it. Okay. So just you so I'm... I mean? That's, that's okay. Okay, so hold on. Okay, so just so I'm clear, you're not saying the sexuality is not an issue with with your daughter that you're talking no, about. No, 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 it's not. Okay, Sorry, you meant more in the sense of acceptance. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, I mean, this is where that you know, when you say you you want to just walk beside her, it does seem like you're walking too close to her. And even using your analogy, if you're really walking beside someone and you're too close, they can't even really take their steps because you're going to get in their way. So I think you said you guys are close, which isn't necessarily bad, but too close can be a problem where you, you, your emotions and her emotions are too closely tied together and maybe you're not very good at taking a hold of your own feelings and you share them with her or it comes off. And this is why people go to psychologists, they go to therapists because they are not invested or involved in your life so they can be more impartial and let you talk and explore things but with family there's a different type of support which is can be very valuable but at the same time sometimes it can be difficult because you feel something about what she's going through and she's going to feel that even maybe if you try to to cover that and then she might not want to talk to you because she feels like you are judging her for what she does or doesn't do yes but my problem is not only with her, I have this feeling towards a lot of issue. Mm-hmm. Like I accept something is not good, and I don't want to do it, but I do it, and then later I get upset at myself and why I'm doing it. You know, I'm not gonna do it anymore. I'm not, but then you know, for a while I can control myself, and then I do it. What but kind of things? I- what kind of things are you talking about? Like, what's something that you tell yourself not to do, but you do? Okay, for example, I think I have a personality that, uh, uh, I forgot how to say it in English, but like your dad say, like a person that is kind of like a character, shakhsiyate majboor. Okay. And kind of like, I close the door, I know I close it, and I say, oh, did I close it? I go back to it. And then, you know, I fight with myself, I don't go, I don't do it, but then I do it. All I'm saying is just the difference, the tazot between what I feel and what I do inside, like outside me and inside me. Well, yeah, but also, yes, but also something I keep hearing, there's a very, like a judgmentalness you have about others that you also have about yourself. And I think that gets you in trouble too. And this feeling of somehow being better than or that you have to be this certain way like there's this ideal self you have and you have to be that ideal self and then when you don't measure up to that ideal self you beat yourself up and then when other people don't meet these ideals that you think this is the right way of being you get upset with them or angry or you judge them so i feel that and that maybe is what your daughter's feeling is that if she tells you 
things about her. You might try to act like you're okay and give her her space, but you judge her and you make her feel judged, and that doesn't feel good. I never thought I'm judgmental, but she she mentioned that. She said, you know, sometimes I'm scared to talk to you mm-hmm. because you judge. When I'm talking to you, I want your idea. I yeah. don't want you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I just want your idea. Yeah. But all together, how could I get, like, my inside and outside close? So, for example, you know, like, if uh, those homosexuals, you know, as I say, I accept them, but inside me, I don't. So how could I get the whole thing? Once I understand something is right, mm-hmm. why Well, these things, you know, uh, they can take time to change because logically maybe you can try to understand and accept something. But as I was saying in the last segment, with a lot of these types of issues that we we sometimes consider them moral, even though to me someone's sexuality shouldn't be considered moral, but nonetheless we think of it as a moral thing, uh, it comes from an emotional place. So it's more deep down. And you automatically feel this way about them. So you can tell yourself, you know what, after hearing people's arguments, after reading research, I realized that homosexuality is something okay and natural and they don't choose to be that way. They are born that way and I should accept them. But emotionally still deeper down, you'll feel something that this is bad, this is wrong. Because that goes back till all the way probably till your childhood. And that takes time. So slowly these things can evolve. So it's not that it can't change, but that emotional place, that more unconscious feeling is going to take longer to change than something more rational or logical. You can make a change there, but the emotional change will usually take some time. So you have to be aware that it's going to be that way. You can keep working on it, keep thinking about the judgments, catch yourself when you find yourself feeling that way. Because usually what happens is we feel something and then because of that, we come up with what we think are rational or logical arguments to explain why, for example, it's bad to be homosexual. But it's not coming from a logical place. It's the emotional reaction first, and then afterwards we're coming up with these logical reasons. So you have to keep questioning it and asking yourself. But again, even here, I feel like you judge yourself. Why can't my internal and external match perfectly? And you get mad at exactly. yourself. Yeah. Exactly. So I think and it you, shows in my face. It shows my face. Yes. I don't like it, you know, even though I'm trying to be kind of like I'm trying my best to be nice, but the other person, the other person can see it in mm-hmm. my face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's what, you know, you called starting off with your daughter. You have to be aware of that, that you, it's almost impossible for you to hold that back. And so she's not going to like that. And you have to understand where she is coming from. Can you understand where she's coming from, where she says... I do. Okay, I do. good. I completely understand where she's coming from. I completely want to... And I'm afraid. I don't like this feeling because, for example, it's like... It's kind of like almost I want... I tell myself, you know, she's not a kid. She did everything right. So, uh, like... I like if I'm staying with her, if she doesn't get up early, I'm trying to wake her up. And I say it's not your business. Mm-hmm. I push myself to not do, to not get involved. Does she live but, with you? No. Okay. No, no, she doesn't. But but then uh, what do you mean you try to wake her up when she's visiting you or when? Uh, when, when like when I'm kind of like I go to see her like few days, I stay with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like 
when she talked to me I mean, like, about her friends, you know, all those things, kind of like, uh, for example, her friend, she has a, a master and she's going out with somebody who has that associated and all those degree. And when she talked about that, I said, oh, my God, that's terrible. That's, that's not good. And you say that? Said, she, yeah. You say my, that. Okay. I said that, and my daughter said, why are you judging people? You know, mm -hmm. they're happy. You know, yeah. it's not our business. I talk to you. But it's kind of like, that's what I'm saying. I just have to breathe. You know, like, I want to make a better person about my, uh, for myself. Mm -hmm. I don't feel good about it, but I'm doing it unconsciously. Yeah, and I think you make judgments automatically because you're saying yes. you don't consider yourself judgmental, but in these stories that you're sharing, you're making very quick judgments that people are being bad and wrong and there's this assumption that you know better than other people so it's coming how, how could i correct myself well that's you know that's something to to realize that you it, it will take time for you to change this but you don't know better than other people that you have your opinions and your thoughts but it's not some absolute truth that you know that that girl has to be making a mistake that's how you feel, and maybe if you were in her shoes, you would choose differently. But it's giving people their space, and that's the thing with your daughter, too. Even though she's your daughter, you might feel like you have the right to be more involved or have more of an opinion, but you have to let her live her life. Or even if she wants to sleep in, you have to let her sleep in. You know, waking her... Let, let me just ask you about that. Why do you wake her up if you're there and she's sleeping in? Oh, I want to make sure she's there on time. What do you, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you want to make sure she's where on time? Yeah. No, no, where, where you mean she has to be somewhere she at tells work. you? She's at work on time. Okay, but, and is she late or what's going on? She's never been late and if she's late, the work that she has, she has very high, you know, position. Nobody, in, mm -hmm. she's not like a person to clock in and out. Right. But I have to stop myself. But this business, big question right now is about her PhD degree. Mm -hmm. I feel like every time I want to push her, but she's not ready, you know, what do you think? You think that the, the, the psychologist that told me it's like, is she's making good, the right decision? I don't, I don't know if she's making the right decision, but I think you have to make sure you don't think you know the right decision for her, which is why I think you do too much. Is that you think you know what's basically you're saying, I know what's best for her. How do I get her to do what I know is best for her rather than letting her make the choices for her life? Okay, and sometimes, you know, when I say this is my idea, this is not fact, but it's, that doesn't make me, you know, it's still I go back to it and I want to push it. And I know I shouldn't. Yeah. But. Well, that's the thing. So, I mean, it's realizing I don't know better for her how to live her life. And this is what I mean by too close. I think you have a dependent and kind of codependent relationship with her and you think she should do what you want her to do and she doesn't have to. And even with the work, she's responsible and takes care of herself, but you think I have to come save the day for her and wake her up. You don't need to save her. She can take care of herself. And if anything, I would say make sure you're focusing enough on your own life. What's going on in, what's going on in your life that... Are you, do you feel good about your own life? Is there anything you're not happy about? Is there a loneliness you feel? What's going on for you? No, I'm not. I'm not lonely. I'm, I'm okay, you know. I could be better, but I'm okay, you know. My husband, he's, he's American, so sometimes, you know, the, it's different culture and all those things, but 
Look, altogether we're fine. Altogether we're fine. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I know you said there's there's cultural difference or whatever else is going on, but that's something I would emphasize for yourself is when you see yourself getting too involved in her life, turn your attention back to your life. Because a lot of times what people do in, when they have these kind of dependent or codependent relationships, they neglect their own life and they focus completely on the other person's life because it's easier for them than to actually face the things that they're dealing with. So when you focus on her and her PhD and her life and what's happening and what time she's waking up, come back to yourself. Am I exercising enough? Am I taking care of my health? Am I taking care of my marriage? Am I happy in my marriage? Do I need to work on this? Do I need to work on that? You need to put the emphasis back on yourself, which I think won't be easy for you because you're not used to it in some ways. And also because you're so have a tendency to be judgmental, it's hard for you to look at your own life because then you might find things you don't like or things that are going to make you upset. So the biggest thing I would say is to turn your attention towards you and your own life and not be focused on judging other people, even your daughter and what she's doing or not doing in her life. She's going to have to figure it out. If she wants your support, she'll ask for it. But even the idea of walking along with her, I don't think you need to walk along with her. She needs to walk. And if she wants to stop and say hello and, and, and get some support from you, you give it to her. But you're not on the path with her. She has to be on her own path and you have to be on your own. And sometimes your paths cross and you can interact, but you're not with her. And I think if you're with her too much, that can be a problem. You're exactly right. That's why I walk at least an hour a day. And when I was walking, I got to that uh, the conclusion. But now I'm saying, how could I correct myself to not be judgmental? I know you say put attention on myself, my family, and all this. Yeah. But altogether, I don't like that feeling. I'm sure you don't, you ju because you're going to judge other people and you're going to judge yourself. I mean, that's something that's going to take a long time. There's no magic solution that if you just think one thing, you're not going to be judgmental at all, because for you, it comes automatically. It's not something that you think about each time. Should I be judgmental? Okay, let me be judgmental. These things come automatic. You hear something, you see something, you're like, oh, that's wrong. That's bad. They shouldn't do it that way. These people are bad, whatever it might be. And it probably comes back from your childhood from a long time, usually we internalize our parents' voices about how to be judgmental, whether you want to call it the superego with Freud or in transactional analysis, we have the parent, but there's this judgmentalness that usually gets internalized from a young age. And it's just the way we approach people is to be judgmental. And with that judgmentalness comes this idea of superiority. Somehow I'm better than other people because I know better. And that's also why we judge. But usually that comes from a place of not feeling so good about ourselves and insecurity or a lack of self-esteem that you want to be better than other people. When the truth of it is you're not better than other people, but you're also not worse than other people. You're equal than everyone else. And that's what we're trying to get to is that point. So like I said before, rather than focusing so much on your daughter, I would focus more on yourself. If you're in therapy, good. If you're not, go into therapy and look at these issues because what you're talking about is not something that if you just hear something, you're going to change. Just like I was saying before about the judgments you have, let's say, about homosexuals, you might logically hear something, but the deeper emotional unconscious level will take longer. So this idea of being judgmental, we can talk about it and you say it makes sense to not be judgmental, but still automatically you're going to be doing it. And it's going to take time to work on that. So I would highly recommend going to therapy and get ready to go deep to get a better understanding of where this is coming from and slowly work through it because it will take some time.
thank you so much, sure. Doctor. You thank know, you. Listening to you and your dad, you know, all those things change all, all Iranian life and open our eyes and, you know, kind of like... Well, thank great. you very much. I appreciate you calling. Thank you to both of you. Thank you thank so much. You. Thanks for calling. Wish you all the best. Take care. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, going to our next commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you. Um, so I think I'm just going to start um, off by saying a little bit about myself. Okay. Um, I'm 18. I just turned 18. I've been, or we've been, living in the United States with my family for like seven years now um when we came here we had a lot of like challenges it was really really hard for me and um it was really really hard between my mom and dad so the overall it was really stressful for Mm me um so since like a couple years ago or i guess it's been a while that i've been like daydreaming a lot Mm -hmm. especially when i get stressed out like when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night, that's what I do. That's what, like, I don't know, I guess it calms me down. It just mm-hmm. happens, like, automatically. It's not something that, like, I choose to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then a couple, I guess, like, two weeks ago, I just all of a sudden, like, I felt really weird, kind of, like, depressed, and I stopped daydreaming and for the last like week I've been having like some intrusive thoughts that what if I'm homosexual and I know that I always find something to worry about like Mm -hmm. all the time I can never like be calm there's always something that I have to worry about I'm like oh what if this happens what if that happens but in the last couple of um, this, this has been something that I've been worried about. And I know that I'm not attracted to girls. I'm attracted to guys, and I know that. And I don't have any problems with, like, homosexual people, you know? Mm-hmm. I get that. I understand that it's something that they're born with. It's either the way that their body is or whatever. But I know that I'm not homosexual, but it's it just comes to my mind at certain times especially when I'm stressed out. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost like my brain likes to get stressed. It's like I find something to stress out about. And this Mm -hmm. has been one of the things that I've been stressing out about over the last couple of days. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do about it. And Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not in denial. I know that for a fact, but I just need someone to give me the assurance that, hey, this is like, this is because you're stressed out. 
because I know that I'm not attracted to women in any sexual way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I recognize beautiful people, but I'm never, like, sexually attracted to them. Mm-hmm. You so know what? Yeah. Know. No, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Go ahead. So, yeah, I just, like, last night, in the last couple of days, I've been so stressed because of my finals and everything. Mm-hmm. So, last night, I took my test before my final. So, like, I have my final tomorrow. And I thought that I would be really happy because I didn't do so bad for my test. But when I came home, I was so sad. Not sad, I guess, but so stressed. And then when I went to bed, I could not sleep. My heart was beating so fast, and then I started having these mm. intrusive, intrusive thoughts again to mm-hmm. the point that I thought, I just want to go to the hospital, and I just want them to give me something to calm me down. Like, I could not sleep. I, it almost felt like a panic attack. Yeah, and it, what you're describing, obviously it sounds like you're. it's a, very stressful, and there's a lot of worry and anxiety and, um, you know, you talked about a lot of things, and I'll, I'll touch on a few of them, and then I want to obviously ask you some more questions. But, of course, people deal with issues of sexuality, and sometimes they are not sure about things, and, and it comes to their mind, and they might not realize it till even later than you in life. Uh, so that can be happening, but it seems to you that you feel pretty clear that there isn't actually an attraction you have towards women, and you're saying you don't feel like that would be so wrong or bad to you, for you, um, but that there, it's just you can't get this worry out of your mind. And so it sounds very much like an OCD uh, issue, obsessive-compulsive exactly. disorder, and even some people do have um, OCD related to sexuality. So people, when you have OCD, there can be lots of different things that are the worries or the intrusive thoughts. Sometimes people have this fear that they've killed someone. So they'll be driving and they hit a little bump in the road and they think, oh my gosh, what if that was a person? And they'll drive back to the location, maybe even a few times to make sure there's no dead body there or that they didn't hit anyone. Um, Sometimes with sexuality, yeah, people have this like, maybe I'm gay, maybe I'm a lesbian. And then they, even though they have no attraction towards the same sex they still exactly. will have this so it seems like that's what you're dealing with it's or what you have the thought it's yeah just the thought that there's no i know that i'm not i don't like anyone mm-hmm. but it's just like in my brain i'm like what if right nothing has happened but i'm like oh what if let's worry about that exactly yeah that's like usually and there's a lot of that what ifs and you know as human beings we we have a lot of thoughts and we have a lot of what ifs but when people have OCD, what happens is like kind of like if you're at the movie theater and you imagine they change the reels on the film. So this part plays out, they take it away, and the next part you know, of the movie is on a new reel. People with OCD, they'll stay stuck on the same reel. So they, can't, they have a hard time changing the thought or switching the thought. So maybe someone else your age has that same thought. What if I was a lesbian? And then like, oh, no, I'm not. And they go on to something else. But for you, that thought gets stuck. And it's playing over and over and over again. And even, yeah, in some weird way, you feel like there's something you maybe weirdly enjoy about it or you want to feel that way. And there could be, yeah, you you almost are comfortable in anxiety. Yeah. Or are you comfortable worrying? You're so used to worrying about something that if you're not worrying, that almost worries you. So you find something to worry about. So you maybe had some generalized anxiety disorder issues, um, but clearly what you seem to be describing seem very much in line with OCD. 
And that will oftentimes show up in teenage years. So maybe that's why it's showing up more now. Um, and you had what you describe as kind of like intense or chaotic kind of life around 11 years old, I guess, when you came here, although maybe before that you also experienced some things. Um, but so that could have been related to what you're dealing with. So it seems to me it's pretty clearly OCD related, obsessive compulsive disorder, and that you're going to need some treatment and uh, therapy can help. But if it is indeed OCD, so I mean, I know I'm making it sound like I'm confident, but I want you to meet with someone to get a clear diagnosis. But oftentimes, if you do have OCD, you will need to take medication or it will be very helpful in your treatment. And you have to be ready for that, that a, a antidepressant can be helpful for people, even though OCD is an anxiety disorder for long term use, the antidepressants are prescribed. So it might be something you'll you'll have to consider or be open to in getting your treatment and getting your help because it's going to be hard for you to just try to get yourself to stop thinking about it. It just it's too strong of a force. And it's very much yeah. a biological thing, too. So it's not going back to this idea of choice. It's not like you're choosing to obsess over these things and you just have to easily choose not to. It's something that becomes kind of automatic in your brain, unfortunately. Right. And then I, like, I try to fight it. I try to say, oh, no, you know, like, this is my stress. I need mm -hmm, to calm mm -hmm. down. But even when I do that, it comes back in. It's yeah. like, oh, no, maybe I'm in denial. It's like I'm fighting with myself. Yeah. That, and that sounds pretty horrible. And, it, you know, it's you were talking about the daydreaming, and this is very different in a way, but it still has a similar feeling of just going into a, a, a place in your own mind and just staying there. You know, it takes you away from reality or even facing what's going on. And so exactly. even maybe there's something about that when you talk about liking it, maybe life was so painful that it was more comfortable to go away from life. Because to me, the daydreaming, you know, maybe I did want to say something about that because daydreaming in and of itself is not a bad thing. It actually is good. Like most things, it's good if it's in moderation because it's a good time to think about things. You can actually, sometimes creativity will come through a moment of daydreaming and exploring and letting your mind wander. So it's not a bad thing to do sometimes, but sometimes when people do it too much, that's when it becomes an issue. It almost becomes like a drug because you're escaping reality and going to this place, even though you're not using a chemical, but you're just using it in your brain uh, and you kind of just keep going there. So you'll see people that have a very painful life or really don't like their life. They'll go to this place in their mind. And it actually reminds me in some ways of virtual reality in a different way. Now we're bringing that to life. And I have concerns that actually with virtual reality, there will be a time where people, because they won't be happy with their actual life, they'll want to live in their um, virtual reality world. There was this movie, Ready Player One, that I actually thought was pretty, I think that's what it was called, which I thought was interesting. But I feel like people want to escape reality and they'll go somewhere in their brain or if it's aided by you know, this computer program, they'll do it that way. But daydreaming can have that effect. So maybe you were used to kind of finding this place in your mind and escaping there because real life was so painful and uncomfortable. And it seems like that's something that you did. You know, I want to talk to you some more and we're at a commercial break. So hang online. Let's talk a bit after break about what you're going through, what you can do. And also I want to talk to you some more about what you can do to get help. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back.
back before the break. We were with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Yes, hi. Okay. So uh, we were talking before the break about what you were going through, and um, it, it does seem like you're dealing with some degree of OCD, where you said recently the thought that keeps coming into your mind is that you think, what if I'm a lesbian, even though you don't feel any attraction to women, but it's that, well, what if? And it's like you can't get that worry out of your head. And something else you yourself mentioned, I think, are aware of is that things like OCD, when we get stressed, they become worse. Um, so that's what you might be experiencing. You said you're doing your final exams. And so it's very likely that the stress is triggering even more of these intrusive thoughts and making it more difficult to break them. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you is if we're looking at OCD, there's the what we're talking about now is the O, oh, the obsessive thoughts. Um, do you have any compulsions? Is there any of that part of the disorder that you might be dealing with? Things like hand washing, checking things, counting things. Is there anything like that that you're dealing with? I think I'm um, not much of that, but I <laughs> guess I could say I'm very... Um, people that are around me know that I'm very, like, controlling. I always want to control everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's around me. Like, I want to have control, con uh, complete control over everything, basically. Yeah. And also... Um, and that's actually just a, a thought on that, uh, you know, people with anxiety in general, because they can't tolerate uh, the uncertainty, they can't tolerate not knowing what's going to happen, and they need things to be a particular way, they do want to have control, and they can be very controlling right. in their own life in certain ways, but especially with other people too, which can interfere with their relationships. And then what can happen is that control... And that anxiety can turn into anger because when things don't go your way, because it's hard to handle it, it usually comes out as anger because then you get so angry about what's going on. So people with anxiety very often will have that anger that comes as a result of things not going exactly how they want them to go. And that could be distressful for you and, of course, for people around you and the relationships that you have. Right. Unlike, like, other people that have OCD that, you know, some people are super organized and, you know, everything has to be, like, set, very organized. I'm not like that. I'm actually kind of an organized person. And I think it might be because, I don't know, because of, like, daydreaming, I don't pay too much attention mm -hmm. to certain things. But I am a very cautious person. Like, I well, always have to make yeah. sure... No, go ahead. Make sure that, like, things are going the right way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I always need, like, evidence for everything. Like, just people telling me stuff doesn't make me feel 100% mm -hmm. good. Like, yesterday, um, I was talking to my dad, and I was very stressed. I wanted to make sure that, like financial aid is like paying for my school stuff and he told me that it's been already accepted because that's what it shows in my in the page you know the uh like the financial aid page and i was like well i still have to go and make sure and ask them so i am like that mm -hmm. but Nothing that, like, oh, I have to wash things, like, yeah. wash my hands, not like that. Okay, so you don't have any compulsions like that. And one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned, because you talked about, well, 
I might have OCD, but I'm not really organized um, and I'm not very neat or have everything cleaned up. And this is in some ways a misnomer. Or it's a way that we sometimes talk about it. People will say if someone is really organized, we say, oh, he or she is so OCD, right? That's kind of how right. we say what we say. It's just like other things will say, oh, they're so bipolar. Like today they, they want it to go and then tomorrow they're saying they don't want to go. And so sometimes we use these psychological terms, but not necessarily accurately. And so this is another one of those where people think OCD means you have to be very clean and organized, which is not necessarily true. Now there's OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and people with this issue are much more likely to be very obsessed with things like rules and things being the right way and order is very important to them. And people with OCD might have similar characteristics too, but they don't necessarily have to. So I'm saying that so people don't think, well, if my room is messy, I can't be OCD because I have to have a neat room to be OCD. And it doesn't have to be. So you, and again, we can't say 100% you have this diagnosis, but I don't want you to think that if your room is disorganized, that means that you don't have OCD and we shouldn't consider that a possibility. It could just be that you know, this is how it manifests in you. And again, it's not about an organized room means OCD. So I want you to, to keep that in mind. And um, the need for certainty and just still not being sure, that's just the way your brain unfortunately works is that it's always worrying about things. And it can be funny because sometimes people will say, well, just don't worry about it. But it doesn't work that way because I don't think, again, you're choosing to worry. It's hard for you not to. It's just like when pe someone is mad and we tell them don't get angry, it just makes them more angry. It doesn't really work. So the worrying that you're dealing with and these issues you're dealing with, I want you to realize that there's things you can do to help and we can look at that. But more of it, I think, is going to be medication might be necessary and especially seeing a therapist to explore these issues have you ever seen a therapist in general or about any of this i have not and okay. i wanted to but honestly i couldn't find any good therapist around me that's one reason and okay. the second reason is i'm i was worried that they're gonna think see that's th another thing it's a little hard for me to trust people i <laughs> thought oh maybe if they're not a very good therapist they might think i'm in denial Mm. They might not understand my problem. When it came to the, the sexuality? Yes. Well, they, they might, but I'll, you know, a good therapist and most therapists are not going to tell you what you think and won't say, well, and they, but they might explore it. And I think it would make sense for them to explore it. Well, let's see if you're saying you have this fear, let's explore what's there and let's look, dig even a little bit deeper and we'll see what conclusion you get to. But um, most therapists are not going to tell you, well, if you're having this fear, you must have it and you're in denial. Because again, this OCD, it's one of the things that we experience in OCD. And uh, my colleague, Dr. Tabasun Vahidi, has talked to me about this issue. And she's had clients with this very specific issue of kind of like a sexuality OCD, where they think they're gay or they think they're a lesbian, even though there's no other evidence to support it, but they just can't this, get this worry or fear out of their mind. So I think most therapists will be able to recognize that. So I really hope you don't prevent yourself from getting help out of fear that the help is actually going to hurt you or the help is going to make things worse or you'll be judged by them. But of course, we know that your tendency is to worry, right? So even when it comes to getting help, you're going to worry that something is going to go wrong there. 
And I hope you take that risk, if it feels like a risk, to get help. Because the good thing is, if you kind of get ahead of things, it can help things not develop and get even worse. So if you're just getting the OCD-type symptoms now, the longer you wait, more than likely the worse it can get. It becomes more, in a way, this is maybe not really scientific way of looking at it. It's like the grooves of your brain get more set and deeper. So your brain goes into those same ways of thinking more often. And so if you can get some treatment now, including therapy and possibly medication, it might help reduce that. And so I would also want you to consider uh, working with a therapist who has good experience with anxiety disorders and especially OCD. Again, I can't give you a 100% diagnosis, but it seems like there's a lot of signs and symptoms there. So we want someone who has that experience because treatment for OCD is sometimes a little different than the traditional therapeutic approaches. So you need someone who has that experience. Right. And I actually had one more question. Sure. The thing that I... Uh that like keeps me debating is that like not debating but you know um i've actually never been in a real relationship with Uh a guy Mm -hmm. so that worries me a little bit i don't know if it's because again because of the daydreaming it's just keeping me it kept me like unmotivated or whatever Mm -hmm. but it's like oh my gosh if i've never dated a guy and i'm 18 what does that mean well, it just means that you're 18 and you've never dated someone. It doesn't necessarily mean something really bad is going on. Uh, my guess is it could be related to lots of things, but one thing about control, for someone who wants to have control over things, relationships can be very scary because you can't really control another person and you can't control the outcome exactly or predict what's going to happen. So oftentimes for people dealing with things you're dealing with, relationships can feel scary. So you'd rather choose the comfort of not being in one. And I talked about this on Monday night's show in general, people choosing the comfort of being alone, even though it leaves them unhappy, um, over the risk of being with someone and and creating a relationship because there's always some risk involved. So my guess is that for you at some level, that's playing a part, that something about relationships is scary. And when we have anxiety, what anxiety does is it makes us want to avoid the thing that's making us anxious. This is kind of like how, let's say, a phobia works. You have a fear of flying, so you just won't take any flights or you'll avoid traveling even to not have to be in that thing that makes you anxious. So if when you think of a relationship and getting close to someone creates some level of anxiety, you just choose to avoid it. And it's not something you need as far as you'll, you'll die without it, so you can just not have it. But you might feel unhappy or unsatisfied with life because you want that, but the fear or the anxiety is keeping you from moving forward. So, so my guess is this is not necessarily a sexuality issue, but more an issue of the fear of intimacy, fear of getting into a relationship. Right. Just one more question. Sure. How do I, how, what are like, how would someone know that they are attracted to the op- or the same sex? Like, mm-hmm. how, what are the like not symptoms but how would you know yeah how well would you, make sure? you know there's no uh, there's no like a blood test or anything like that it's it, it's kind of you it, you have to feel it and that's why no one else can tell you what you feel about someone uh, i can't tell you if you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream better you have to tell me your 
preference, you know, when you taste it and experience it. So when it comes to attraction, it's how you feel about those, you know, people of that sex or what type of people you feel attracted to. Do you feel a sexual attraction? Do you feel an excitement? Do you feel that you want to be with them in a sexual way or romantic way? Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. And the truth is, you know, not to say that you are in denial, but I think a lot of people, because they're so afraid to even um, think about or let it be a question of if they're attracted, let's say, to the same sex, they don't even let themselves think about those things. They don't really explore it or allow themselves to feel what they might feel. Uh, but the thing is, when you're asking that question, you can just explore, do I feel anything? And you, it seemed like you were saying you don't um, feel any attraction to, to females. And if that's how you feel and that's how you experience it, then that's it. There's, no, um, there's nothing else really to it than what you feel about them. Yeah, but thank you so much. Sure, thank you for calling. I'm glad you did, and I really, really hope you'll get help. Like I said, um, the longer you wait, this is probably going to get worse rather than better, and it's not something that can just easily be controlled. You know, sometimes people say things like this, well, it's in your head, so just stop thinking that way or stop doing it. But no, the truth is it's in your head, as in there's something in the functioning of your brain that's leading to you having these types of thoughts. And we need to do something about it because it's not just something you can switch on and off like a switch. Because if you could, you would have already done that by now. So get the help that you can. And I would hope that you'll be open to medication if that's something that comes up because it might be necessary. So be ready for that. And it might be very helpful for you just to kind of take off the edge. It's not going to be the solution that takes away all your problems, but it can help you, let's say, reduce some of those thoughts to some degree. And then with therapy and other work, things can get even better. So please get the help you deserve and um, hopefully it'll it'll make some big changes for you. Okay. Thank you so sure. much. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Thanks for calling. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back, studio number 3104410555. Let's go to another caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, Fadi. Thank you for taking your time to talk to me. My pleasure. Uh, okay, so um, I was just calling regarding to questions I have about after I graduate mm -hmm. and what are like the. I know a couple options that I have available, but I really. I don't know. I just want some other people's opinions as well on what I need to do. I've talked to a couple of my good professors, you know. So I'll start off. I'm 23 years old. I live in California. I moved here from Iran when I was 10 back in 2004. And 
I went to high school here. And then after high school, I went to a community college. And after being at a community college, I transferred to University of Riverside for chemical engineering. Okay. And I go to Riverside. I've been, I just filled my first year there. So I have about a year and a half left if I get the dean's approval to be able to do a little bit of overload each quarter. I could possibly graduate this next year. But my question was, after I graduate, what the couple options I have, like some of the people I talk to and know who did their engineering degree, they say that they went and they like get a job, you know, and settle into the job for about a year or two and then kind of continue and go do more school or do like, like I've heard some people do MBAs for business management and then they have their engineering degree so they can do like an engineering management for like a big company. Uh And then I've heard some people like to go and do law and then when they finish law, which I heard that's the hardest one, which you could do law and then you're able to have your law degree as well and you could patent products for like engineering companies and stuff like that that you work for. And what was the other one? There's one more too. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a hundred more, and that's yeah. this is where you're dealing with is what we call the paradox of choice. Uh, sometimes we know that we want to have choices, but when you don't have a choice, it's a lot easier because you don't have to the responsibility of making the choice. Yeah. But you have that responsibility, and it seems like as much as it's a good thing to have these options, it's also you're uncertain about what to do. And even in hearing you talk, you're saying some people, some people, some people, and and that's true. But we have to find out where you, you as the person, what do you like? What do you want to do? Yeah, no, okay, I understand. Well, the reason I I called was I was talking to my dad just about school and college and everything. Mm -hmm. He was asking me what my plan was after I graduated. And honestly, I think I want to get a job and kind of just work in my field of degree because with an engineering degree... When you do get a job, most of the time it is in your sort of degree or it's some sort of engineering or something like that where you still use math, physics, a lot of the stuff that you learn. And then hopefully I want to try to land like a job at a pretty good company or somewhere that can support me with the rest of my school, you know, mm-hmm. if I want to continue as well as obviously make a little bit of decent money to be able to pay back for some of my school, sure. for the loans and no. Stuff like that, but I do want to continue. Mm-hmm. Now, my question was, is I guess I explained wrong in a way, but my question was, is it better for me to, for example, go after I graduate, when I go back to school, is it better for me to go into, like, my master's for chemistry and, like, PhD, or is it better to do, like, an MBA or, like, a law or something like that? I mostly want to do the MBA because I could do, like, engineering management, you know, yeah, and I think, and I think that was one of the first things where it's. I think I couldn't do that. I could do that, and a lot of like my experiences that, like right now, for example, the job that I have, I manage a convenience store, so I kind of just have got used to doing stuff like that more. You know, mm-hmm. so that seems very more pleasing for me as an engineer. Obviously, doing that would be much different, but. I imagine the foundation of it is kind of the same almost. 
Well, it might be. You know, it was interesting. You said, here's my question, and then you asked it, and then you kind of started answering it yourself, which is good because essentially you're going to have to answer that question of what should you do next. I can't tell you which one is the best because they can all be very good options, but they have to be things that you want to do, that you enjoy, that is the path you want to get on. And I can't specifically tell you that. Now we can look at the different paths and see which one is more aligned with you. But you're going to have to make this decision of, you know what, I want to do the MBA route because I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I feel like it fits my skills. I think I would enjoy the work. I'd feel fulfilled doing that work. And so I want to go that way. So it's going to be up to you to figure out which one of these paths um, you are most interested in. And we want to look at... I think that was the path that I was mostly interested in. But I think I kind of doubted myself because when I talked to my dad, and then everything, I don't know, just the conversation kind of made me think, like, is that what I want to do? But then again, now that I'm speaking to you, I think about it, I'm like, that is one of the first things that I actually did want to do when I got into UCR with the major that I got into. Was but, it to do an MBA? No, no, no. To do engineering and then mm. in the future, go back and do MBA, okay. like a master's program, and then be able to have that as a qualification. Now, my other question was, do you, are you familiar with something called a PE, which is a professional engineer? Not not, not really, no. Oh, okay. I I wasn't very... I had a couple questions about it. That's why I asked if you maybe knew or not. Mm-mm. But No, for, you know, I don't know too much about that. And in general, even if I did, you know, for me, what's important for you to think about is what do you feel like your skills are, yeah. your unique talents okay. and abilities, and then also... What is it that you feel like you will enjoy doing and will feel fulfilling to you? And you have to make sure it comes from you. And I got the feeling you said when you talked to your dad, I don't know if you felt like he thought he wanted to tell you what to do. Did he give you an idea that you should do this or that? No, no, he didn't at all. Okay. Unfortunately, my parents kind of, since they they like did everything, they lived their majority of their life in Iran Mm -hmm. and when we moved here, you know, my, my parents weren't, but still today, they're not very, very familiar with even, like, the structure of the schooling and, like, college and stuff and how it all works. So I kind of have been doing everything on my own for that stuff. I still live with my parents. And I speak Farsi with my parents and we talk about things like that. But my, I think the what happened was when I was talking to my dad about it, my dad was traditionally thinking, like, they do in Iran where it's like you want to go and get the highest degree in what you study and well my dad was saying that like wouldn't it be a better option for me have I ever thought about like if it's a better option for me to do like what I wanted to do originally with the graduate get a job and then kind of go back and do the MBA and still continue to work with that company but my dad was saying what if you like what what would your options be if you did you went and did your master's and PhD or just mm-hmm. your master's in chemistry because you're studying chemical engineering. And I just, I didn't, I kind of, that's where it drew, I didn't know how to answer that question. Yeah. And that's why when I said I talked to some people, it was more, it was more people that I went to school with that were like a year or two ahead of me when I was in community college and they were transferring to like universities and from, Overall, majority of the answers that I got from everybody was 
try to just land a job as soon as you graduate and then just work for a little bit and then you're able to you have more room to see what you really want to do mm-hmm. rather to graduating and right away going back to school again and not kind of building that hands-on experience of working with the company as an engineer mm-hmm. and I think I'm more excited to graduate to do that and to rather right away go back into school to continue what I want to do you know yeah well I think what's all and, and I think that's good to think about what you want to do of course and also talk to people who are doing the things you're thinking about doing because a yeah lot of, yeah, these, yeah these people these people that I talk to they they're kind of they did the footsteps that I'm kind of going yeah through that, right now like good. going to a community college you know transferring from a community college to like a university graduating from a university or like a well-known school for whatever major whatever chemical like engineering major that they got into mm-hmm. university of riverside is one of the best for chemical engineering from the research i did that's the reason i chose that and it was near for me it made a lot of sense to live there to like live near the school and not have to live on campus and everything was in my favor and that's what i originally wanted to do mm-hmm. and Good. the people i talked to they all kind of went that route of getting the job first. Okay. Then. So then, I mean, that, that's something I would pay attention to. And like I was saying, it just because a lot of times people, they think I want to have this career. But when they mm-hmm. actually see what the job is like or what the career is like, they see it's not anything like what they expected or what they thought it was. So it's good to yeah, yeah, talk that, to people doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly one of what was something I think about when I get, when I graduate and I could actually get a job. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be like the sort of job, or at least somewhere near what my what I imagined I would be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it would be like that. And then from there, I would, I guess, from there I could take uh, my next step of seeing what I want to do. And I guess if it's with a good company or like some company that could, I would want to stay with for a long time or continue with, then I could always offer those options to them and see what they have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. Because you could do that when you. Uh, when you're, is that a possible thing you could do with big companies when you have a degree and you work with them? Or is that to do what they offer? To have so them like, pay for your grad school? Yeah. Sometimes they do. I've heard of options where people work somewhere and if they're going to go back and get an MBA, either they'll pay for some of it or all of it. There's different options. So it depends on the company. It's definitely yeah. a possibility, something you can explore. Uh, yeah, so that's that's there for you. But it seems like you're doing the right things of talking to people, um, seeing what they've been through, what they experienced. And, of course, very importantly, make sure you keep checking in with yourself. What do you want to do? What do you feel yeah. you will enjoy? What do you think your skills would be best put to? And then you kind of go on that path. And you want to make plans, but you know that your plans very likely will change and modify as you go forward. So you can make some general plan. And then you just keep doing the work going forward and reevaluate and reassess. It's kind of like a pilot when they're going from New York to L.A. They don't just set one course. They constantly are readjusting the path to make sure they're getting to their destination. So you're going to probably have to do that, too. And trust yourself more than anything at the end. Talk to people, but then then you'll make your decision that makes the most sense for you. Yeah. No, that's totally... I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll... Yeah. I have one more question. Okay. This is more just, it's just more something related to me. So I don't really do much. I I go to school, I go to work, I have a girlfriend, and then 
I go to the gym. I don't really go out much. I don't drink very much like the people my age or like people that I know. I don't don't really do anything like that. Okay. But I do have a car that I love to work on, and I pretty much do everything to this car myself. And I have spent a lot of money putting this car together and building it. And recently I've started to go to shows and stuff like that. But sometimes I get this question, you know, from my parents, uh, why do I put so much time or, like, money? Like, a lot of the money I work for, you know, I use my money wisely, but a lot of it I tend to say for my car and I buy a lot of nice stuff for it, like, performance-wise, and I just enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is when my parents say they think I have a problem sometimes by doing that, would that consider be a po- Is that a problem? If that's, like, well, something not- I... Mm-hmm. It's not so clear really just enjoy. yeah I mean it, I think having hobbies that you enjoy is actually can be a very good thing so in and of itself it's not bad if you told me your life was very limited socially or you weren't no you know. no no so no, if you feel like no, you have, no, I, it's all about balance to me at the end of the day it's about balance no, if no, you have the, every everything is okay. balanced pretty much for me I just my question was when they tell me <laughs> they think I should stop spending money on my car like there's so many, many things I want to do. Sure. I can tell you I tore apart this car. It's a, it's a 2016 Nissan 370Z, so it's a very new car. But I just want to I want to build something that's like one of one more, you know, that I've built myself and yeah. I'm kind of proud of. And okay. with, like, my past cars, I never had that opportunity much to do that. So now that I have a decently nice car. And I do do this. And I've took it to shows, you know, a couple, and I get a lot of, I get a lot of attention from this car because it's something no one else has done to the way that I do it. You know, a lot of people have, like, shops to pay their money. They pay shops to do their stuff for them. I kind of do everything in my garage in my own house. I think there's nothing... There's Again, I don't think anything's wrong with that. That could be great. Uh, you know, if it's your money, how you decide yeah. to spend it, I think, is up to you. Um, your parents maybe have a way of looking at it that it's not good to spend so much time and money on something yeah. and they have their own expectations. But you guys, you're, you're different people. You also are going to be culturally different from them, as you described. So they might see it differently. So like I said, to me, if you have balance in your life, you're working, going to school, have a social life. You said you have a girlfriend and then yeah. you have this hobby that you really enjoy. To me, that doesn't seem bad at all. Having a hobby can be very good. You you get something out of it. You work on it. You see the fruits of your labor, and then you take it to the shows, and it feels good that you've worked hard on this, and it gets positive reactions from people. I don't see that as a negative thing. You and your parents just might see it very differently. So it's up to you to make yeah, sure I think, you I keep think it my in balance. Look at it, I think my parents look at it as more like they think I should be saving a lot of that more money rather to... I don't think they look at it any differently. They're just their concern is I sometimes spend a lot of my money into building this car, you know, or like buying stuff mm-hmm. for it. But then again, as long as I manage to balance that and kind of not limit to myself or put myself in the danger of like having little money or running out of money mm-hmm. in order to buy something, I don't really, I tend to not do that. Okay. So I guess. Yeah, it, that's the part okay. I, you know, for you to look at yeah. is just. Am I being responsible? Do I have balance in my life? And if that's the case, having mm-hmm. a hobby can be a very good thing. So you just recognize that you, you're you going to see this differently from your parents. They're nev- never going to see the value that you see in it. And that's mm-hmm. okay because you just you can have different perspectives. But you just got to make sure you keep everything in check in your life and you know, it's working out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have any tips for me for 
if I do go to like events and stuff like that, if I want to do more to like gain more attraction to like followers to for like social media and stuff like that, oh, just in general, with I, stuff like that. I'm definitely far from a, a social media yeah, expert, okay. <laughs> especially yeah, when it comes no, to no, cars okay. and things, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could—that's t- something where you probably have to talk to other people about that. But you know, keep up the good work. Good luck with that. But especially when it comes to the career, like I said, make sure you and you trust yourself, and you're making the decision that yeah. makes the most sense for you. Okay. Thank- no, thank you so much. Sadie. Sure. Thanks. I really appreciate your time and everything you and your dad and everybody at Radio Hamra does for us. Uh, our pleasure. Our- thank you so much. Thanks for calling. Take care. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks, you too. All right, going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So it is, we're going into fall, and that means back to school. Lots of schools started last week, some this week, some next week, but schools are getting back into session. So I wanted to share some thoughts with students and parents about going back to school. So to the students, good luck. It's a new year, fresh start. Hope you can make the best of it. But most of my thoughts are for the parents. So to the parents, just some words of advice or thoughts that I wanted to share with you. So to begin with, one thing we have to be aware of is when it comes to the kids doing their work, parents can think it's their role to make sure the work gets done. But we have to make sure that we're letting the kids do the work and all you can do is be a support for them. And what often happens is I work with a lot of kids and teenagers and there becomes a battle over things like homework where the parents are trying to force the kids to get their homework done and then the kids start to battle back and fight back and try to resist doing the homework. And the problem is we're making it into a battle when it doesn't need to be. Because at the end of the day, both the kids and the parents do want the homework to get done. No one wants to get bad grades, and your kid is no different. They want to get good grades too. They like the feeling of having their homework done and showing up to school completed their work rather than showing up not having finished it. But when we turn it into a battle, when it becomes that it's for me, essentially, you're doing the homework, then it becomes a problem and you create a resistance in your child who, even though they want to get the homework done themselves, might start to resist and rebel against you and getting the work done. So here's another area where rather than making it a me against you, win-lose kind of a phenomenon, we want to make the situation a win-win. We all want the same thing. We all want this positive result. Let's see how we can work together. How can I support you in getting it done? And keyword there is support. I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm not going to be the one who's always making sure it's done or not done. That's going to be on you to be responsible for that. But I'm here to support you, whether you need my help, maybe you'll need tutoring, or maybe you want me to help you get the work done. And sometimes you might need help from me to help you make a schedule. So you want to come home and you know that if you start playing video games, you might play too much. So we'll make a rule together that there's no video games until homework is done. Or you know that your phone is too distracting because you're going to get texts and snaps and whatever else. Or you might want to watch videos. So give me your phone if you like that. And I'll keep it for you for an hour and then give it back to you. 
there's a big difference between taking someone's phone and holding it for them because they know it will distract them. And we want to try to make it the second where it's not that I'm saying you can't have your phone and again, creating another battle, but rather saying that, do you think it's distracting for you? And if they say, yes, I want you to hold my phone, that's a very different thing. So we want to make sure we try to take a lot of the battles out of these types of situations, that it shouldn't be you forcing or getting the kids to get the homework done. They have to be the ones responsible for doing it. And we don't want to create a battle or war zone when it comes to things like homework. Another area that I think is very important for parents in general, and especially Persian parents, but it really applies to all parents to be aware of, is this idea of allowing your children to face consequences and to deal with situations. So a lot of times parents have what I call a pain prevention philosophy of parenting, meaning that my role as a parent is to make sure my kid doesn't feel pain or discomfort. So if in any moment I can make sure you don't feel pain, I'm supposed to take that away. And so how this plays out in the school domain is, for example, your kid comes to you at 11 p.m. on a Thursday night and says, Mom, Dad, I had this project for a month and I never worked on it. Now it's due tomorrow. And the parents scramble frantically and they start doing the work with the kid. The kid falls asleep around midnight and the parent is up finishing the work, you know, trying to make it look like it's the kid's work, but still trying to get it done. And they think I'm being such a good mom or dad because I'm preventing pain for my child. My child doesn't have to walk in tomorrow unhappy or have a bad reaction from the teacher. They're going to have their project done. But is this really the most loving thing or the best thing you can do for your kid? I would say probably not because your child isn't learning the real consequences of their actions or in this case, a lack of action, not doing their work. That if you don't do your work, you face consequences that don't feel very good and it won't feel pleasant. They might feel some pain, but that's not your goal is just to prevent pain. You want them to have a realistic experience with life, to learn things. And sometimes we learn things from uncomfortable things that happen to us. We see that this doesn't quite work out when we do this and we have to do something different. So we can't just come from a place of avoiding pain because then our kids don't face general consequences that are part of life. If you don't do your homework, there's a consequence. If you do your homework, there's also a consequence and they have to be aware of that. Another area where parents try to avoid pain for their kids is when they have some type of conflict whether it's with another student or a teacher. And parents, again, can swoop in and say, if someone is bothering my kid or if my kid is having an issue with someone, a kid or a teacher, it's the other person's fault. And I'm going to come in and save the day. And we're going to complain to the school or we're going to sue the school or we're going to switch schools or switch classes. And immediately the whole uh, philosophy or the whole mindset is how to get the kid out of the situation. And what I would say is don't approach it in this way. If your kid comes to you and says, I'm having problems with some kid at school, hear them out, have sensitivity and empathy to what they're talking about, and then say, okay, how do you think we can resolve this issue? Don't solve it for them, first of all. And second of all, don't just solve it by taking them away, but ask them, how, what do you think we can do? And if you can, get them to face the situation, encourage them to actually go talk to that kid and see what they can come up with. Encourage them after you've empathized very clearly with them and what they've gone through to see if they can understand the other kid's perspective. 
not, oh, if my kid got into a fight, the other kid had to have been wrong. How dare they bother my kid, which is the approach some parents have, but say, we want our kid to help understand what's going on, what happened. And the biggest lesson or one of the best lessons you can teach them is that you can have conflicts with people and you can work them out. But unfortunately, most of us adults, we don't actually live our lives this way ourselves. You have family members who say, I don't talk to my sister for 25 years because of some fight we had 25 years ago that maybe they don't even remember what happened, but they just thought that if there's a fight, that's the end of the relationship. If there's a disagreement, that's it. There's no path to resolution. There's no path to re reconcile what's happened. And so we live our own lives that way and we pass it on to our kids. Oh, you got to fight with that kid? Okay, that's it. We'll, we'll switch your class or we'll have them switch his class or we'll switch schools to get you away from that. Rather than teaching them, you know what, we have disagreements sometimes and we can work them out. And a big part is we have to understand what we experience, but we also want to make sure we understand what the other person experienced and we can have a resolution. We can solve that. And you maybe even eventually might become friends with this other kid. It doesn't mean you have to always dislike each other because you've had this fight or disagreement or whatever it might be. And the same thing with teachers kid says this teacher is bothering me or I don't like this teacher or this teacher got mad at me and the parents immediately come in and say how dare that teacher do this the teacher must have been wrong they'll complain to the principal to the school district they literally will threaten or actually sue the school when they don't even know what's going on necessarily or just they'll assume their kid is right so if your kid comes you says I got into it with the teacher or I'm having some issue Again, you listen to them, you hear them out, you empathize with them, you show sensitivity to what they're going through, but you also want to make sure you understand what's going on before you jump to the conclusion that the teacher was wrong and evil and is a bad teacher, and to go to the solution of removing your kid or somehow switching schools or whatever it is to just get out of the situation. You want to encourage your child to recognize you can work things out with this teacher, or at least let's try that first. And it's interesting, even as I'm saying this, it makes me realize there's this idea that authority and the child can't have a good relationship or can't work things out where you're actually in authority with your kids and they should be able to have problems with you and work things out and they have the right to tell you how they feel and they should have hope that it can be resolved. So we want to show them that too. But don't tell your kid that, okay, the teacher must have been wrong and we're going to come in there and save the day by making a huge scene and getting mad at everyone we can to show them that they don't mess with my kid that way. Let them know we can work this out. See how they want to approach it. Maybe you will be involved in that meeting or maybe not. Maybe they'll just meet with that teacher and work things out or talk about it and see what they can do. But we want to make sure we send that message that conflicts are not the end of relationship, that you can have problems and issues with someone. You can even dislike someone, but that feeling about them doesn't have to stay forever and we can actually work things out. So don't try to remove your kid from the situation if it's uncomfortable. Encourage them to face the situation and see that they actually can work through it and overcome it. We don't have to just run away from problems. We can actually face them and realize, you know what, that teacher and I, we got into an argument, but now I really like him or I really like her and we have a good relationship. And I can take that with me in the future that if I get into a fight with a friend, with a girlfriend, husband, wife, whoever it is, we can have a fight, we can have an argument, but we can work it out. Fights are not the end of relationships and conflict is not something that has to be avoided at any or all costs. So as your kids going through the school year and issues inevitably will come up in different ways, we want to make sure we hear them out. 
be empathic, be sensitive, talk to them, make sure we understand their side, but also try to get them to see that there are steps to making things better, that we can understand the other person's perspective and we can try to resolve the issue in some healthy way that actually might even make our relationship with them stronger, just like it does in our family or romantic relationships. When we resolve a conflict with someone else, we actually become even closer to them. But if we avoid the conflicts, we create distance and we create resentment. So we have to be able to face things head on. So good luck to all the students in this school year and also good luck to the parents. It's not easy being a parent in a lot of ways. And when it comes to school, it brings up a lot of issues that you have to deal with. So good luck dealing with all of those things. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Again, the book of the week for this week is Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright, The Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. I'll be talking about that on Monday night's show. All right, thank you to all the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.